And just like that, we're back. We're back in 2020. We took December off. We had to take December off. Because if we didn't take December off, then the podcast wouldn't undergo the upgrades that it needed to undergo in order to continue to grow. With that being said, December 2019 actually was the highest rated month in the history of the show. Even though I didn't upload a single new episode, somehow, I don't know how, I don't understand it, it doesn't make any sense to me, we achieved the highest point on the Apple Podcast charts we've ever achieved. Number three in the United States of America for astronomy and physics. Number three. There's only two people in front of us, and we're going to beat them this year. 2020, we're going to beat them this year. Because there's no show like this show. And what show is that for people who are new here? The State of the Universe. That's what it's called. Is it a good name? Yeah, it's a fucking great name. What do you mean, is it a good name? It's a great name. All right? It is what it is. 67 episodes deep. The name is what it is. It can't change. It's the state of the universe. Is it about astronomy and physics? Yeah. Is it about other science too? But does the name not seem like it's about other science? And it just seems like it's about astronomy and physics, but it's actually about all the science? Yes. And that's just what it is. Episode 67 featuring the great Dr. David Fisher. He's a, a regular on the show now, I guess. Three episodes he's been in. This is third. And people love him. I love him. He's the greatest to ever do it. He's a physicist, but more, more, more importantly, and the reason he's on the show is because he's a spaceflight historian. All right, this man knows more about the history of spaceflight than any other living human in the planet, on the planet, above the planet, on the water, below the water, in a submarine, on a boat, anywhere. All right, single-handedly knows more about the history of spaceflight than anybody, okay? He documents spaceflight more rigorously than probably any other human alive now or ever people that work at nasa and whose sole job it is to document spaceflight do not document spaceflight the way this man documents spaceflight he's a professor of physics at lycoming college his spaceflight collection is literally like a museum whatever you whatever you want he has it what do you want do you want a lock of hair from neil armstrong he's got it guarantee you he's got it He's probably got a little envelope, a little baggie, like a little, you know, like a little baggie that you'd buy weed in when you were in eighth grade. I guarantee you he's got it. He's got it locked up, signed, sealed, delivered, probably notarized. What do you want, a tooth from Neil Armstrong? He's got that. What do you want, a fingernail clipping from John Glenn? I guarantee you he has it all. He just has it all. All right. On a more serious note, he, he documents thousands of pages of spaceflight operations every year. And that's why we bring him in. All right, he's he's the Stephen King of spaceflight. He's wavelength Shakespeare, you know? He's wavelength Shakespeare, and that's just how it is. All right, he's Equinox Hemingway. He just documents spaceflight. We're not here today to talk about that. We're here today. I, get, I have him on the podcast at the end of every year, and I think that's a good time to have him on because we get to talk about what spaceflight achievements were made in the prior year so we do that what was 2019 on the surface seems like an incredibly successful year in spaceflight we break it down what happened what didn't happen what needs to happen in 2020 what is supposed to happen in 2020 what will happen in 2020 what does david fisher predict we talk about that dr fisher says american astronauts will launch from american soil for the first time in many years in 2020. 2020 will be the year. That's an incredible achievement. How will it be done? We talk through it. 
And then commercial spaceflight is emerging. Space tourism is emerging. The space force is emerging. What do we expect from all those things in 2020? What do we expect? Listen, the man is a genius. He's brilliant. It was great talking to him. I hope you enjoy the episode. Please support the Patreon. Um, I've actually had more people join the Patreon in the month that we were off too, which is insane. I don't understand. I'm going to take every month off. I don't think that will work, but I'm just going to do it. More Patreon people. Listen, people, if you're a, pat- a patron, do me a favor. Sign into Patreon and check your messages because I send you messages, but I never get a reply from anyone. There are people right now on Patreon who have won stuff from me. They've won books. They've won gifts. They've won things. And I'm trying to send them those things, but they don't respond. And I suspect it's because you people don't check the Patreon page and Patreon probably doesn't send you emails. Stupid, I know, but sign in, check the messages. I've probably sent you an email or a message. Well, I've definitely sent you a message and it's possible that you've won something. So go do that. Please rate and review the show five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you don't do it, it's because you are a grade A 2020 ass clown. That's what you are. If you have an iPhone and you're listening to this and you don't rate the show five stars, it's because you are a grade A 2020 new decade ass clown. And that's just what it is. And I don't make the rules. Those are the rules that were given to me. They were passed down to me from my ancestors. So I don't, I'm not the reason you're an ass clown. You're the reason you're an ass clown. And that's actually a good lesson to learn going into 2020, that you're the reason you're an ass clown in all facets of life. You are, you are the reason for your own ass clownery. And that's a good thing to note. All right. Love you guys. Appreciate you. Please subscribe on YouTube. Check out the website, thestateoftheuniverse.com. Join the mailing list. Do it all. Support the Patreon. Support the PayPal. You know what to do. I appreciate you guys tuning in in New Year, New Decade, New Year, New Me, New Me, You, New Year, New You too. And what does that mean? That means you pay me in the New Year. Did you pay me in 2019? Ask yourself that. Did you? And if you say no, well, then it only makes sense, New Year, New You, that you pay me in 2020. All jokes aside, people, hope you enjoyed the episode. Let me know what you think. Bye-bye. See you next week. The end of 2019 marks the end of what I consider to be a very productive year in spaceflight. Okay. Would you would you say it's a productive year? Uh, yeah, uh, for my... Uh... <laughs> and of course, I my, my frame of reference is like, you know, while I've been alive. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that time was not a very productive time in spaceflight. This will get me in the mood to write the ending of the uh, chapter on uh, this year's International Space Station operations. I'm just past like page 910 of the year's activities. That I, and, uh, how, how in-depth do you document that? Well, let's see, I'm up to volume. Well, it started with the space shuttle, uh, but the uh, space shuttle morphed into the International Space Station because the space shuttle, its biggest job mm-hmm. was building the International Space Station. Thank goodness it finally was given that thing, you know, three yeah. quarters of the way through its lifetime. Um, but I've, I think I'm working on volume, either two or three inch binder, double sided papers, uh, volume 46. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I write a lot. Um, right. I'm at that all the time. Um, and well, last night to like three in the morning, I'm doing video transfers to, mm-hmm. um, to check back on some, some things. I document by word, I document by video and, uh, um, uh, all kinds of different ways. The space program as I have since I was, um, much younger than I am now, but, mm-hmm. um,
by the way, in case we have first time uh, uh, listener, uh, I'm a professor of uh, physics and astronomy, Lycoming College, where Brendan uh, graduated uh, as an outstanding major. Uh, and uh, I've been uh, also involved with uh, mm-hmm. the documentation and writing about spaceflight history uh, for God knows how, well, longer than you've been alive. Yes. Um, got started essentially, I think, when I was 10. Yeah. Uh, I just realized the other day that I'm old, and I know that when I say that to people, they're like, wait a minute, you're old? Because I was in the store, and there's those little plaques there that say, you can't buy tobacco if you were born before <laughs> this year. And it said 2001. Uh-huh. And I was like, what? 2000? I remember when those things said, like, you know, 19... 19- 85 uh-huh. or something so yeah it's, it's moved up it's, yes but so yeah and of course i'll do an intro where i introduce mm-hmm. to everyone who you are so yeah. the new listeners will know oh, okay um but but yeah so this year in space flight i feel has mm-hmm. been particularly um productive yeah and that's what i was getting at um the the thing i got to do next to finish that chapter off is i got to sort of do a yeah, where's the station uh sitting at the end of the mm-hmm. year uh did they get everything they intended to get done accomplished and the answer is almost always every year no um because you know very always very ambitious and problems come up along the way and then set the stage for 2020 the chapter that'll begin with page one mm-hmm. uh, and maybe go up again to close to they're always about a thousand pages uh, in length uh unless it's a really uh slow year which there's not many of those but yeah it started off with um the new horizons uh, spacecraft uh, on uh, new year's day mm-hmm. um uh swinging by well depending on what time uh, system you're using but swinging on by uh the first type of object um far out into the uh, kuiper belt um past pluto mm-hmm. uh, with ultima thule with yeah. That name no longer is supposed to be used. Yeah, I know. I was about to say that. I'm bizarre. like, that, that name is off limits yeah. for some reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many things that Ultima Thule has, it represents. That why does somebody have to decide, well, it has to be Nazism, which is nonsense. But they yeah. did. It, it, that reference was true, mm-hmm. yes. But it's one of many. And it's like the lesser of any of them. But, yeah. well, whatever. Um, I still we, – we had a, a student who gave a talk, the very last colloquium, and he had prepared his talk before this flap came up. Mm-hmm. And so he said, throughout this talk, I'm still going to use Ultima Thule yeah. as the name of this thing. I was at a talk, actually, where someone was talking about Ultima Thule, and someone actually interrupted their talk to oh, tell them God, they're, not al- use that. they're not allowed to say that. And I was like, you... I, uh, grow it, up. Yes. It's, <laughs> I don't understand that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the times that we live in. Yes. But it started with that, which was quite a thrill. Mm-hmm. Uh, just thinking about what was involved with this, you know, zipping on past this thing. It's so dark, so far out into the solar system. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't even part of the original program. I right. Mean, it, was, it was simply, yeah, simply uh, investigate Pluto mm-hmm. <laughs> because that hadn't been done. That's one of those things you couldn't check off in the solar system uh, book of investigations. Okay, now we've got Pluto. And it's, Decided, well, let's see if we can aim this at something else. It's going to go to another one after mm-hmm. this. Um, but that's how the year started. Uh, there's lots of space station operations planned. And the perennial, well, we want to get back to launching uh, our own astronauts without relying only on the Russians to get them up since the era of the shuttle ended. Uh, that's, you know, years overdue. Yeah. Uh, and the promise was that, you know, by the end of the year, we'll have astronauts launching from Florida again, uh, either uh, with SpaceX Crew Dragon or um, 
with the uh, Boeing uh, Starliner, mm-hmm. uh, which I prefer to call CST-100, uh, Crew Space Transport mm-hmm. <laughs> 100, the model 100. Uh, but actually, Boeing lately hasn't had too much luck with designating things by number. Let's not get into the 737 MAX. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, um, I was kind of rooting that Boeing would, would win first, and they still may, but um, SpaceX made a lot of progress early in the year. They got their uh, vehicle up there without people on board as a test flight. Then they are trying to do a test on the ground with that very same spacecraft and blew it up accidentally. Yep. Um, yeah, one would just want to think back, oh, dear God, that's the same space. What if they had tried to use those thrusters when it was at the space station? Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay, so they're set back. Boeing starts moving Oh, ahead. wow. No, I, that's an important point that I hadn't thought of. What I if they thought tr- about that recently myself, and I'm thinking, dear God, if they had done a thruster test when they were in the vicinity of the space station, or heaven forbid, docked to it, mm-hmm. um, boom, yeah. and that would not have been good, to say the least. Um, so they made progress, then they got a setback, and then they had some more setbacks. Boeing starts moving ahead, and then uh, this last uh, test not too very long ago, just a matter of days, for Boeing, looked like it uh, had a chance that they could fly very early in the uh, first part of next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the orbital flight test was quite successful, but it didn't exactly get to the International Space Station in a rather embarrassing uh, problem. Yeah, it didn't, everywhere, every source I've read says it was a problem with the clock, right? But none no. of them go in-depth into that. Well, they still can't figure out why it did that, as far as I know. I, I um, One of our... Um, alums um i have some inside information um at johnson space center and um you know he could only say so many things but mm-hmm. um he said that it was like uh, i'll see if i can get his words right he seeing this um incident unfold was kind of like watching a rock sinking in the ocean and you couldn't do anything to save it yeah <laughs> it was just he's going down uh well it didn't go down it stayed mm-hmm. up in a, in a stable orbit but you know it, it was using thrusters at half the uh power rating twice as long killing uh, more fuel and getting less delta v uh, change in speed so it was never going to be able to get to the uh, space station. So they, they got a lot of the performance um, aspect of the test done. But yeah, the whole point was to get to the space station. So right. from a public relations uh, standpoint, it kind of looked like that's not so good. Right. Uh, yeah. On the plus side, though, I think, you know, even if there were humans on board, they would have been fine. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah. Right. The, the astronauts who were there uh, to watch it. Ones who would fly a different version, of, a different model of that same uh-huh. spacecraft, um, said, you know, if we had been on board, we could have taken action to give uh, mission control more options. It was almost like a comedy of errors in the sense that it was nobody's real out-and-out fault. Uh-huh. You got to know that this was tested like crazy. And right. it just never showed up. Uh-huh. Um, but what happened was, to what I understand anyway, is the computer uh, has to go and check um, the Atlas V, the launch vehicle worked fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was a big concern. Would, would this combination work? Cause the Atlas never launched anything of this shape uh, on the front end. Worked fine. But when the spacecraft uh, se- uh, goes through its separation, it's supposed to check on timing and it went to the wrong timer. Mm-hmm. And so it was reading a time 11 hours out of sync. Right. And so it's thinking it's needing, it's going to be somewhere else in the sky. 
Mm-hmm. And it's at the wrong attitude, too. So it's firing thrusters like mad. Yeah. And, okay, they notice this is happening, and they want to take control over it. And what do you think happens? They end up being stuck on a prolonged period of out-of-communications with the tracking and data uh, relay satellite system that provides so-called near-continuous co- uh, mm-hmm. uh, coverage. And it just happened to be at the wrong place at the yeah. wrong time uh, and out of time. And so the thrusters, they, they got good data on this. The thrusters fired far longer and hotter than they were supposed to. And they, they didn't blow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the situation like the, uh, uh, SpaceX one, very different kind of thrusters, but, um, these things went beyond their performance ratings yeah. and they still worked fine. Mm-hmm. So they got that extra, uh, performance uh, test data out of it. But nevertheless, it, it seemed like, you knew something was wrong while you're watching this because the Boeing commentators are talking, 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 talking all the way through Ascent. And then all of a sudden it got quiet, mm-hmm. <laughs> prolonged quiet. And you say, come on, what's happening? You know, because the, the commercial ones, they don't talk anywhere near as much as NASA does. When something goes wrong with NASA uh, things, they'll come on and tell you what they know mm-hmm. at the time as much as they can. Yeah probably keep repeating the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. until they know more. But uh, if SpaceX has a problem or Boeing, they just sort of, hmm. And you're looking at a picture and you're like, okay, we know something's mm-hmm. going on here. What? Well, eventually you get this word. The spacecraft is in a stable orbit. Okay, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> and that, that's, that's all he said. And uh, you had to wait for a while till they had a press conference and uh, they said uh, what was going on. And it, it was a very unfortunate kind of thing. But... Two, two days it stayed aloft. And quite frankly, as the astronauts had pointed out, the ones who would fly the first crew test flight, this was called the orbital flight test. This is going to be the crew flight test that takes astronauts up to the space station for the first time if it's, um, it's the Boeing Starliner. They all said if we had been on board, we could have taken action uh, or at least given um, mission control more action. Because I like that one. More than the Crew Dragon because Crew Dragon is virtually totally autonomous. Um Mm-hmm. It's relying on the computers right. and pre-programming and con- ground control. Mm-hmm. That's the Russian approach. Uh, I want a pilot uh, on board my right. spacecraft. Yeah. And um, the person who's going to be piloting this one is Chris Ferguson, who was the last person to land a space shuttle. So he shifted from NASA to uh, to Boeing. Uh, the other two that will go along with him are Honest Goodness Astronauts, and they're trained to do the same sort of thing that he does, but he'd be the primary pilot. You can actually uh, fly. The, mm-hmm. the CST-100, whereas the Crew Dragon, you're a passenger primarily. There's yeah. not that much that you can do. Um, it seems to me that the CST-100 is a more capable uh, vehicle, and I'd get on board that one um, if they gave me the shot. Why, why, as long as somebody yeah. like Chris Ferguson was on there, that, that they wouldn't <laughs> have to rely on me to fly the thing. Yeah. Why do you think that these organizations like SpaceX and Boeing are so quiet when they make mistakes. So I remember when the Crew Dragon capsule blew up. <laughs> you didn't um, hear anything for days. You didn't hear anything, and it almost felt as if they were trying to suppress information. Oh, well, they are. Because I'm pretty sure that we didn't even find out about that until it was leaked by someone. Yeah. Um, it was not publicized at all. Do you think that that's related to the fact that they take actual financial hits to their organizations? Well, they're, they're I'm not a. I'm not as... Um, schooled on that aspect of commercial spaceflight, the economics and all that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm guessing here. But uh, certainly that has to 
hit the company somehow financially. Uh, some of the commercial entities have gone public mm-hmm. uh, with stock, not all of them. And you know, if you're looking to make profit, uh, it's a whole different thing with government versus the com- commercial thing. The whole idea is you're profit-driven in addition to, you know, you have these people who consider themselves visionary you know, mm-hmm. uh, people who are looked upon highly by many people who want to see commercial spaceflight go much further than it than it is as, at present or wanted it to come along far sooner than it ever did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's fine. Uh, there's a place for commercial as well as there's a place for government, but they're very different entities. Uh, and we're in the process now of trying to figure out how they make use of each other. Right. What's, what's the proper uh, role for, for both of them? It, it's more uh, symbiotic, I think, than anything else. But, but there's, there's profit involved. Right. And there's nothing wrong with profit being involved. Mm-hmm. But NASA, with the uh, Crew Dragon that blew up, they were not very happy that they didn't find out what's going on for the longest time. And it, yeah, if you're uh, looking to make profit, you don't want to look bad. Right. And so you can't help but understand they're not going to be as forthcoming uh, with the commentary, the explanations, the press conferences, and the media events. The information transfers is nowhere near what it is with, with NASA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think we're ever going to get past that kind of thing. Yeah, but it, you know, on the surface, it seems like NASA struggles from a similar thing. In that mm-hmm. when they have a failure, it reflects itself oh, yeah. in coming budgets. Oh, absolutely. So what prevents NASA from being the same way and being sort of... It's in their charter that they must be forthcoming. Uh, That would not go down well in government circles for them to be closed-mouthed. There are some aspects, of course, from the Challenger accident where they took one hell of a hit uh, by virtue of not bringing forward uh, things that were known about the O-ring seals Mm -hmm. uh, on the solid rocket boosters in advance of uh, the tragedy that was um, uh, the 51L mission where we lost the seven astronauts and the orbiter itself. Um, They have to report directly to Congress, whereas Crew Dragon and uh, um, Starliner and other commercial uh, entities, they can be called to um, hearings Mm -hmm. uh, to testify um, but they're not called forward in the same way to uh, oh, keep Congress in the loop because Congress is not directly giving them money. It's a weird thing, and you need some other expert to really get this completely right, but it's a weird thing that Congress gives money to NASA to give money to mm-hmm. the commercial entities. Yeah. <laughs> and they were not nearly as thrilled about that as they were about giving NASA more traditional kinds of funding. Um, part of the reason why we haven't gotten Crew Dragon up there or uh, Starliner up there to the International Space Station, uh, at least three, it depends on what schedule you're talking about. Three, I think it's more like four and a half years that they're behind schedule. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but uh, uh, part of the reason is that the commercial entities didn't think they were getting enough money Mm-hmm. In the commercial, let's say, uh, commercial, um, well, it's, I just know by the uh, the uh, acronym COTS, C-O-T-S, mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, 
Commercial Orbital Transport System, I think, program. It, it's basically the government getting jump-starting commercial entities to do these things. And there were those in Congress who didn't like that whole idea anyway, because taking taxpayer money to make profit in commercial entities, it just is not the way spaceflight was done uh-huh. um, for the benefit of everyone. Uh, now the benefit is from Elon Musk and for Boeing and whatever. Right. But then again, you can argue, well, the regular kind of contracts benefited Boeing, benefited United Launch Alliance, benefited mm-hmm. all the other uh, large aerospace industries. Um, it, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Uh, and we, we still have to, to sort the whole thing out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the issue of how much of a pressing issue was it for both of those companies, for Boeing and for SpaceX, Quite frankly, in the last year to a year and a half, I think Elon Musk has kind of lost his interest in Crew Dragon because um, he could have pushed uh, further on this thing. He's more interested right now in his Starship and uh, the – what's the current name for this thing? Starhopper Big? maybe? Oh, well, that, yeah. that was just a test bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the rocket that takes Starship uh, up is – it used to be the BFR, which stood for something, you know, where the F uh, was a letter, a word that I won't mention, but uh, it it's, it's, was Big Falcon Rocket yes. uh, eventually, but mm-hmm. that's not the name anymore. Um, that hasn't gone too well in the past year either. <laughs> but, yeah, he's more interested in getting rid of Falcon 9, which is what you use to launch Crew Dragon. So NASA started scratching his head when he started talking about that. Wait, wait a minute. Hey, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, all this stuff about launching 100 people into space at a time, oh, that's all well and good, you know, but you have a contract with us to yeah. uh, fulfill uh, getting a couple of people up to the International Space mm-hmm. Station. How about getting on with it, Elon? Yeah. Uh, no, there's two things that, that always stick out in my head. One, there's a pro to this. And the pro that I always think of is if you can, you can almost like create a space race within the goal of getting to the moon, uh-huh. say. Because you, now you can have two entities that are competing, and so it's going to hopefully, in an ideal situation, it's going to be more efficient. They're going to end up spending less money because they're going to be on a, t- a tighter mm-hmm. budget. That That's the pro. The con, though, and this is the thing I always mention to the people that I talk to at NASA or, or you know, people in this community when I have them on the show, is that what, what if you end up with a scenario that is no different than the United States and Russia right now, mm-hmm. which means – you have SpaceX, which now has a monopoly on your method of getting to space, and they then start charging you like a monopoly <laughs> yeah. in the same way that Russia did with the Soyuz. Soyuz, I yeah. can never say that word. Um, I, wh- how do you see that being a potential problem in the future? Oh, they're arguing back and forth with Boeing right now about the cost of a seat. And mm-hmm. Boeing saying, no, no, it's not that much. But the price tag for the Boeing uh, Starliner – seat is about the same as it is for the Russian Soyuz. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so what's the advantage there? Well, the advantage is we're in charge of our own launch schedules, right. uh, for one. But, you know, it's, it's still not going to be terribly cheap. Uh, and Elon Musk says, well, when we get around to it, it'll be a lot cheaper than that. Okay, well, show us the, the numbers. Uh, right. that, that's the kind of thing that commercial entities don't want to talk too much about in front of Congress because it kind of locks them in. and They still mm-hmm. need to get that, that uh, uh, profit thing in there. Um, it, it's a good idea. Congress wanted only one, which gets to sort of you relying on uh, just one who could then charge you whatever they want. Congress only wanted a, uh, NASA to fund one uh, commercial entity. And that's like never learning anything. You know, mm-hmm. when you relied on a space shuttle, if the space shuttle went down and you had to fix it, you had no way of getting 
people up uh, through the American program until you fixed the thing. And so we had two down periods of prolonged uh, time. Thank goodness they weren't anywhere near as long as the post shuttle to the current time uh, turned out to be, nor uh, as long as the time between the end of Apollo and the start of the space shuttle in the first place. Uh, but still, if you have only one way of getting to space and then it goes down, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what put us in you know, the use of the Soyuz. And we've been dealing with them because it's the only way we can get up there. Um, we could have conceivably gotten along with the Chinese to get up there. Uh, they've been interested. I think we talked about this before. Mm-hmm. The Chinese are really interested in cooperating with us, but because of the politics involved, our government will have nothing to do with technology transfer to the Chinese. But this is all stuff that's out there for them to get anyway. I mean, you can look this stuff up anywhere on the Internet. There's nothing about International Space Station that is classified. Mm-hmm. Um there's nothing about um, Apollo that was classified. Yes. Um, now, there's corporate secrets <clears throat> with regard to, you know, Crew Dragon and Starliner and some of the other uh, lesser well-known a- entities that are commercial. But, yeah, you know, we should embrace the Chinese. That would have given us another way of and, – and their money. Mm-hmm. They would have given us um, funds as well as an extra way of getting up there and then have the Chinese and the, um, the Russians fight over the price – uh, tag for a seat and it would go down. Yeah. Uh, well, Congress never learns. Uh, NASA insisted and somehow won the battle that said, we, we need two. We'd like three. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of reminds me about how uh, we managed to uh, fill a faculty position within the uh, uh, department when someone unexpectedly uh, left the department. Uh, it was a time when you had to f- uh, fight amongst other, uh, not fight, you had to vie amongst oh. other departments um, who said, oh, there's uh, a tenure track open. Why don't we take it away from physics? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll come up with our proposal. What we did was we, we uh, said, we really need two to replace the person who left because with just the one, uh, and we went into like 25 pages worth of data explaining why, but essentially we figured we're going to say we want two so that they're going to just say, well, we'll give you one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it took the military procurement uh, <laughs> methodology. You ask for twice as much as you absolutely need so that you get what you at least minimally uh, need. Yeah, we did need the two, but we knew we were never going to get two. Oh, so when we made a strong case for that, they said, hmm, yeah, I guess we have to give those physics guys uh, the seat that they are losing mm-hmm. uh, by this guy moving on. And so we got Dr. Culp that, that way. Uh, it, it's, it's a game. Yeah, and the, so the you mentioned the Chinese. I would say the other big, big thing in spaceflight this year. There are many, but I mm-hmm. think if you, if in my head, if I boil it down to two, okay, it is the emergence of of Boeing and SpaceX mm-hmm. vying for to be the people that can bring astronauts mm-hmm. to and from the ISS and beyond, and, and to other uh, other things. I mean, the whole thing can open up a lot. We, we, we've been talking about opening up commercial space forever, mm-hmm. uh, and we're only now possibly able to do it uh we've got lots of other things blue origin mm-hmm. um uh they haven't been moving as fast as i think they sh- they could have they could have put up small space stations some time ago they, they have a small inflatable module at the space station right now but before that they had put up two uh very large uh, stations never put anybody in it because there's no way of getting to them but you know they're developing their own launch system the, um, 
the commercial uh, vehicles like Starliner and and uh, Crew Dragon can go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. We could find ourselves in a situation where we've got a lot of small, single purpose or just several purpose um, uh, mini stations rather than this football field size thing that is our International Space Station. And they're more corporate mm-hmm. rather than they are government. And so that might be the place where um, the research that's done on the International Space Station then pays off for commercial people to do very specific kind of things um, to build on what's learned by trying everything you can think of uh, on the internet, everything you think of and can afford on the International Space Station. But it gets us to one thing that's the difference uh, that, that worries me between commercial and government. Uh, government is a space program. It's about exploration and science. Mm-hmm. And commercial, I don't see anything really that is a space program. I mean, Musk talks about going to Mars. Why? Exactly. Well, he no. talks now about getting to the moon two years before Artemis. Mm-hmm. Okay, why? What's he going to do when he gets there? Just land on it? Everybody looks around and say, hey, I spent a lot of money. I'm on the moon. Okay, let's go home. Mm-hmm. That's not a program. There's no exploration involved there. There's no science involved there. NASA does research, science, and technical development. What... SpaceX does its technical development. It's very innovative. They, they'll try things that we might not see tried in NASA because a commercial entity can be more risk, um, well, can take more risk. Mm-hmm. Um, they pay for it when they lose, but nevertheless, they, they can take on more risk without government oversight, as NASA would. But I see space as a place where you go to do science and explore and not just go and sightsee. I mean, you and I can't afford to go circle the moon at $100 million a pop. Right. <laughs> and, okay, did we go through the development of the space age to get to this point 50 years in from the uh, Apollo 11 moon landing so rich people can go and sightsee the moon or... People who don't want to stay on Earth anymore can go die on Mars. Yeah, no, it's one of the it's one of the <laughs> things that like I don't understand either when we talk about commercial space. And I always wonder to what. Okay, first off, legislating space in and of itself yeah. is is a disaster because I don't even know like I don't know how to do that. I don't know how you yeah. go about doing that. I don't know who the moon belongs to. Um, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Belongs it belongs to all of us and none of us. It, yeah, it, that's it's one the of those thing, weird right? things. Yeah. Yes. So when we begin getting to the point where we can go to the moon, what's to stop someone from using that as a sole way to boost their profit margin? And and how do we say don't do that? We need to do science instead. Yeah. You know, because if 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 Elon wanted to, he could maybe get to Mars by his. I don't know if his timeline's realistic, but he's saying... No, it's not. <laughs> what, 2030 or 2035 or something? Oh, yeah, he's pushed it back into the 2030s. Yes. He, um, he's always very vague when he talks about it, of course. Um, like he's it, always very optimistic. Yes. But, you know, even if you could, even if you get to Mars by 2035, there is still an infinite amount of science to be done there. Yeah. So wh- how do you measure the importance of these things? If, a bill- if Jeff Bezos is willing to give you $10 billion to go to Mars, and mm-hmm. that $10 billion would... Would set your company up for the next decade or two decades. Do you take the money and risk contaminating the otherwise pristine environment? 
mm-hmm. or do you take it slow and try to study the Martian environment and not worry about the profit, the mm-hmm. bottom line? And how do you how do you contend against these two things? Because in an ideal situation, I think that in in my ideal situation, you would use space tourism as a way to fund science. Mm-hmm. That's the ideal way. So if the mm-hmm. millionaires want to pay to circle around the moon, great. Now we have a million dollars to explore the moon mm-hmm. and actually explore the moon correctly. But that I don't I don't think that's how it's going to go because yeah. you know all the, Elon Musk wants to talk about exploring and do the Carl Sagan thing all the time, but he doesn't b- back that up with any real What scientific packages he send into space? Exactly, and and you know, and you know, you can even talk about the what are those uh, things? Starlink is that? Yeah, the the little pods. That's a menace. Yeah, that that go. You know, that's what that's what they're called, right? Yeah, and um, these these will undoubtedly be put up there, thousands of them by many companies, yeah. because that could be a menace to radio astronomy. It's a huge menace to most forms of astronomy. Have you seen the videos? Of these things from Norway. I think it's filmed in Norway. There's this great video. I'll send it to you afterwards. And I'll post it on the YouTube for people listening. You see a reflective string of them? Yeah, you just see a string of like star. Like it mm-hmm. just looks like an It looks like the ISS when you see the ISS going overhead. But it just looks like there's, you know, 400 of them in yeah. a line just going across. That's really bad for astronomy. <laughs> like really bad for astronomy. Yeah. And you, we've raised this as a community to Elon many times. I get emails about it all the time of these organizations saying, we need to petition, we need to petition, yeah. we need before they send more of them up, we need to petition. And there's no response. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the, the most that SpaceX has ever said is, well, we'll try to make them darker. <laughs> you know, but th- th- that's not a response. That's not right. a, a solution um, because the, the profit is more important than, mm-hmm. than the end game. I don't know how you, I don't know how you mandate that in going forward, though. Mm-hmm. The regulatory aspect of spaceflight is not an area that I'm that steeped in. But, I don't uh, think anyone knows well enough. It's mostly, about I think, it. with regard to frequency regulation, than mm-hmm. you know, the kind of thing that uh, the, the Starlink things are messing up with. Uh, just you know, filling up space with thousands of these um, highly reflective uh, things that'll ruin astronomy from the ground. Oh, yeah, that reminds me. I, I made a, a misstatement a while back there. We were talking about those smaller space stations. When you brought up Jeff Bezos, uh, I got the two companies mixed up. Um, I was talking about the Genesis uh, mm-hmm. spaceship and the Beam, the Bigelow uh, expandable activity module on the space station. Bigelow is Robert Bigelow, mm-hmm. and uh, Bezos with uh, Blue Origin is, is an Amazon-based uh, thing. I got those yeah, two mixed Bigelow up. is always attached to any alien conspiracy you can find. <laughs> I don't know what is, know. it is about that guy and what he does, but he's always <laughs> attached to the conspiracies. There's this place I have not gone in. Well, you can't get in. Um, but uh, out in Utah, there's this place that's often referred to uh, – as the uh, Skinwalker Ranch, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that is, you know, the supposed hotbed of paranormal as well as alien, whatever. Um, that's near a, a rather nice part of uh, Utah, and uh, Bigelow bought that mm. yeah. <laughs> from the government, of course, or is. sold it to the government after he bought it first. Or I don't know, it's, it's a he weird. He was just story. involved. Yeah, he's he's always involved in in God. He was involved in something important recently. The Pentagon announced that they were spending money on this to investigate UFO sightings. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this. They were actually forthright about saying, if if military mm-hmm. personnel say that they see a UFO, we're going to spend money to actually investigate it, which is a good idea because mm-hmm. you know 
chances are if there's some enemy spacecraft in your airspace, you're not going to say, oh, look, it's a Russian fighter jet. You're going to say there's something weird there that shouldn't be there. Maybe we should look into it. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the the money went to the Bigelow Aerospace people yeah. to do the... So he's always steeped in like anything that has to do with aliens, the man somehow mm-hmm. has found his way into. So he's like... Um, I go on a lot of different shows where I'm in your seat and yeah. I'm the one being interviewed. Um, and he's oh, they always ask me questions about him. Mm-hmm. Like he's always gets brought up. Anytime there's anything about aliens or UFOs, it's always like... Have you heard about Robert Bigelow? Yeah. Um, I don't know why. It's just it's weird to me. Um, oh, he's he's something of a cult hero to many people, especially the UFO crowd, mm-hmm. uh, but also to the commercial space flight. And if there's any possible commercial space flight UFO paranormal uh, conjunction of people's interest, oh, then he's the man uh, for that stuff. I've, I've never had the uh, opportunity to meet him, nor Musk, or um, any of the other major um, figures in, involved in commercial space flight. Um, but it would certainly be interesting to, to meet some of these guys. And I, I hope I'm not giving the impression I, I, I'm against what they're doing. Uh, it, no, I'm not. I just you, you have to sort of somehow cultivate them the right way. And I don't think we're necessarily doing it the right way right now. And what they're interested in, their motivations are not necessarily the same as what the motivations are of the space science community. Uh <laughs> Somehow we got to get the, a symbiotic relationship, which they say we have, but I don't think so yet. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we would already be sending people back to the space station from Florida. But we're getting close. It should happen next year in case some other, unless some other monkey wrench kind of a thing gets uh, uh, put in our way. That the next time that they fly the Starliner, they're probably going to put people on it. But now Musk wants to get his up there because it, it's, it's sort of like a pride thing. SpaceX mm-hmm. says, oh, we'll, we will be Boeing. And Boeing's yeah. saying, no, no, just wait a minute. They, yeah. they, they it's work. like a space race. Yeah, it's, it's, like it's a, a commercial space yeah. race. So there's, there's something of an honor thing that they want to sort of not plant the flag. It's kind of weird because it literally is take away the flag. The last space shuttle mission, which was you know uh, commanded by Chris Ferguson, who's going to fly the Starliner, they left behind on a space station an American flag mm-hmm. on purpose – for the next ones coming from launching on American soil to go up to the space station to bring back down to Earth. Mm-hmm. So he'd be happy, Chris Ferguson, if he goes, having left it there in the first place on SDS-135, the last uh, spatial mission, if he goes up there and he brings it back in Starliner and, you know, said, hey, Boeing, yeah, we, we, we beat uh, SpaceX. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now uh, uh, Musk is trying to push that maybe he'll get it done in yeah. February, which uh, Starliner can't possibly do it before March. That flag is going to be for sale on the SpaceX website <laughs> for well, a couple hundred yeah, million dollars. Could be. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> It'll be in corporate headquarters for a while, and then maybe uh, they'll, they'll sell it. So maybe Elon can get more weed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being I'm being facetious. But, uh, I don't have any weed to offer yeah, you. We don't have any weed. To, yeah. So oh yeah, if you ever end up having a, um, a connection to uh, Elon, just stay away from the <laughs> the weed session while you're having your chat. That legit that um that that situation hurt the stock of SpaceX. Oh, I'm not surprised. Which is, is funny to me. Yeah. It's just so interesting. So, do you think that that was the, a weird, weird thing? I mean, it, it just there have been times when he's been involved with uh, appearances in the media mm-hmm. that he just seemed like he's out of it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> but he um, was really out of it with that and the smoke uh-huh. all over the place. That was not good for your company, Elon. No, um, yeah, 
I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you know, it went up smoke, afterwards. It, it, it went, went up, up, yeah, and then it went up afterwards. So you're not going to find the administrator of NASA sitting down and talking to the media with a, 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 a dubious. Yeah. That's kind of the charm, though. I think a lot of people have of Elon. Like that's the thing that that. I, that's a, it's like the Donald Trump charm too. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Donald Trump was on a talk show in California and he took a hit of uh, legal marijuana. I wouldn't be I, honestly. That would be not surprising to me. So yeah, it's a, it connects you to humanity in a way that a lot of these guys oh, like yeah. Jeff Bezos is like. You know, the average person can't relate to Jeff Bezos, right? On anything, it just—he just seems like a robot. It's like everything. Mark Zuckerberg, you ever see the way he drinks water? Yeah. It's like, it's are you even a human? I don't understand. How do you learn to drink water that way? You use two hands to drink a bottle of water? I don't... It's very weird. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah so, all of these are kind of harder to um, relate to, but yeah, probably the most human is is Musk. Yeah. Uh, frankly, I don't know. This, this is just total speculation. That's a nice part about doing these kinds of podcasts. You would have a little fun about it while you're at it. Um, maybe Musk will sue me now. I don't know, but I don't have that much, Elon. So <laughs> please leave, leave, stop, leave it alone. But it, it just reminds me, like, uh, part of this is he's just having fun. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, like a kid with a lot of money going to, that shows my uh, age, going to the penny candy store and say, I'll have some of that. I'll have some of that. I'll have some of that. And I'm going to go home and I have a shitload of money still. Yep. You know? <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, he, he has that charm. That's why people like him. And I think it... It shows in when he like launches a car into space. Yeah, you know, like it's it's. Oh, that rubbed me the wrong way though. Did it? Oh yeah. Why? That thing's out there, uh-huh. whizzing around. Yep. At least it's not in an <laughs> orbit that should be a major problem of sending a probe out there. But can you imagine twenty, <laughs> just thirty smashed. years from now, we launch a billion dollar probe to Mars, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the tracking data says. Oh my God, that Tesla's out there heading right at us. <laughs> Bam. Oh, uh, it's not likely, but right. nevertheless, why would you put, just because you can, why would you put that damn thing out there <laughs> yeah. in harm's way for future? The, the uh, irony of ironies would be if uh, uh, something that Elon sends to Mars would run into his car. <laughs> that would be that's how i knew that's how i would know the universe was a simulation if that happened <laughs> or at least that's, had a sense of yeah, humor yeah that's but how unfortunately somebody might actually die from that oh. yes. Still, like i said they, the chances of that happening are very very tight mm-hmm. but nevertheless you know things happen <laughs> yeah so do you think that that will be the biggest moment for sure in space flight in 2020 is that what you're most looking forward to is is getting humans to the ISS and retrieving that flag? I think that's the most likely big thing that, mm-hmm. that we can see. They're not going to launch the space launch uh, system. They still need a better name for that thing. Uh, SLS, the, the moon rocket, mm-hmm. NASA's uh, moon rocket. They're not going to launch that um, in November. Um, administrator is that when Biden they're scheduled to launch it? Well, for the first it was time? supposed to go on this year, mm-hmm. uh, and way back early, they said by 2017, but nobody took that seriously. The first one that was really serious was 2019, and it got pushed to uh, um, uh, 2020, more likely 2021. There is an opportunity to launch it in November. Uh, they have some really big tests coming up soon that eh, could possibly str- – there's no room for any uh, delays. Mm-hmm. But they have an opening November 2020. 
uh, but it's not very likely. So, I mean, uh, so I believe then the next one would be in the summer, either June or July of 2021. Mm-hmm. If they don't get it off the ground by then, forget it about getting to the moon uh, before the end of 2024. I mean, it's, it's not going to be possible. But that SLS rocket, um, that's very... It, it it has a tortured history. It, it's it should have been more capable than it is. It can be made more capable than it is, and they're working on restoring some of the capabilities that were taken out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, Congress to the rescue on that one. The Trump administration kind of took some capabilities out of the rocket, and the president wanted us to land on the moon by 2024, but then he sort of made it more difficult to get the lander to the surface um, because the rocket can't take the lander with it. Uh, hmm. Well, anyway, they're still <laughs> sorting all that stuff out, but you better make up your mind fast because mm-hmm. 2024 isn't that damn far away. Right. Uh, and there's an awful lot to do. Chances are 2020, we won't see the SLS launch. 2021, yeah. So the biggest thing for coming up in 2020, twofold, um, in space station operations, uh, getting astronauts back up there from American soil and then uh, sending them back down to Earth for our own recovery. And uh, the Mars 2020. Mm-hmm. Got to get a better name for that one, too. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Mars 2020. Okay. Yeah. Um, that one's cool because of the Scout. That's what I really find interesting about mm-hmm. that. The, the Martian Scout, the helicopter. Yeah, the helicopter. Yeah. That is. Um, that's going to be interesting. That's. I think that that's probably the future. The future of exploring bodies like Mars mm-hmm. is flying. Yeah, roving has historically not. That's, I mean, it's been great. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but it doesn't allow you to explore the planet in ways that maybe a helicopter or something. You'll you like this. Uh, you can't do a helicopter on the moon <laughs> for obvious reasons. Right. But um, just recently, a new record that had stood since. Uh, the early 70s, uh, was broken by the Chinese with their uh, U-2-2, uh-huh. Y-U-T-U and 2, uh-huh. uh, the numeral, uh, well, the second jade rabbit, <laughs> as it's referred to. Uh, on the far side of the moon, that one, I don't remember now the exact number of months that it's been um, uh, roving across the surface. It beat the Lunacod 1, a rover that the Russians put up. Lunacod went something like 20 kilometers across the surface before it died. Mm-hmm. Um, U-2, two, <laughs> the second U-2, uh, has beaten that time-wise, but it's only gone like 200 meters. <laughs> yeah. Two, 300 meters, something mm-hmm. like that. So it's it's pretty close to its lander stage, but it's it's lasted a long time. Yeah, so. the the, Mar- the Martian, ro- the most recent rover we put on Mars, which is, what's the name of it? Uh, Curiosity. Curio- I never remember yeah. which one died and which one's still roving uh, well the only one right now is curiosity right. because uh, both uh, spirit well spirit first 2010 i think and uh opportunity more recently mm-hmm. um yeah they, they're they passed away yes they they only ro- this blew my mind they only rove or drive at a tenth of a mile per hour yeah which now i know the helicopter that the, the scout is, is just a test and it's not going to do much better than that but I think I think what's going to happen is they have predetermined landing spots, right? right? Yeah. Where they say you're going to be here now. I need you to go over there and drop down. Go over there and, and you'll stay there for a while. And, Charge a But it allows you to sort of get a much broader view of yeah. of the area that you're mm-hmm. in. 
Um, I mean, I'm excited. That's probably the thing I'm most excited for. Because that's, at this point, I, as a scientist, great. We're going to mm-hmm. get a new science out of the Martian 2020 rover. Um, but it's like we've done it. It mm-hmm. just feels like we've done it. You know, and you'll, you'll, you're going to learn more about the geology of the planet. Mm-hmm. You're going to learn more about the mineralogy. You're going to learn more about the biology. Mm-hmm. Great. But I just can't shake this feeling. It's like we've done it. Yeah, it's how like many, a present. How many rovers? Yes. It's like a present I've already opened, you know. Well, the nice thing about rovers is if you've got people in the vicinity, and, and this would be, I think, the primary thing that uh, uh, honest goodness space program involving humans at Mars would, would do for quite some time before we ever get to the surface is we end up on the Martian moons. Mm-hmm. And then we have a telepresence where we have people in real time being able to steer those rovers so that making use of uh, camera views in real time, you don't go at a tenth of a mile an hour. Right. You're able to move at 10 miles an hour mm-hmm. across the surface yep. where there's not many obstacles. And you can cover hundreds of, of yeah. miles uh, with a rover and you land one here, you land one there. And you can right. honestly cover the planet mm-hmm. with... Um, Mini rovers, in fact, uh, rather than, than larger ones like these billion-dollar versions right. that we're sending now. Um, more science that way. And you just control them from the humans only go as far as Phobos mm-hmm. uh, and, and land there uh, because going all the way down in the gravity well of Mars is doable. But then the hard part is taking off yeah. again and then heading home with anything mm-hmm. of any significance in terms of geological samples. So you go to Mars, you have a some kind of a base of operations on Phobos, and you work the science on the surface. It would probably drive you crazy to be that close to Mars and say, I'm on this potato-shaped rock. Yes. I can't go down <laughs> and walk on the surface of Mars. Ugh. Yes. Um, but, well, but, they have the sample return mission, which is mm-hmm. meant to sort of um, come after the Mars 2020. But yeah. it, uh, NASA's documentation and NASA's commitment to that at least in terms of the way i look at it from the outside and the way i look at their documents they've written and the way i look at their website it doesn't feel to me like that's a hard commitment it seems very much like it's up in the air because it's politics right uh there is no longer and there never will be again most likely uh, a situation like there was the politics that drove apollo it's just not going to happen you've got to come up with better reasons and that's one of the Things, um, you know, I don't care to get into politics pro or against Trump kind of stuff, but you got to give the man credit for saying, this crap has been going on for the longest time. I could be here in office until 2024. Uh, I'm not going to just sort of spin my wheels and maybe uh, send people back to the moon that some other president can take credit for. We got to do it by 2024, mm-hmm. you know, because NASA had been saying 2028. And that date was earlier than pushed back and pushed back. And he, he looked at this and he said, you'll never get it done that way. you got to set something that's, you know, more realistic in terms of the political situation. And I, I still don't know how in the world this has been working, but there's no bipartisan support for damn near anything in Washington, D.C., except the space program. Yeah. Uh, NASA's doing very well with um, both the Democratic and the Republican side of Congress, um, and, well, the House and, and the Senate, too. Now, they haven't gotten everything they want, and they could use more, especially with regard to the lander. <laughs> if you're going to land on the moon, you need a lander. Mm-hmm. Let's get going on that one, folks. Um, but um, they've done quite well on that. <laughs> and 
nobody's that I've heard in Congress saying, this is the stupidest thing we'd ever think of. Why do we have to go back to the moon by 2024? <coughs> Excuse me. Hey, we've been doing pretty good on the cost. Yeah. Uh, kept it to a minute. That might be only six minimum. or seven so far. Now yeah. there's eight. Now, <laughs> yeah, now that we said that, we'll probably have a coughing fit. Um, yeah. Uh, you, it's a very different political thing. It's like if you have something that takes forever to get somewhere, <coughs> like sending um, uh, a probe to um, orbit the outer solar system planets, uh, Saturn is an easy sell because it's pretty. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it that way, but... You know, yeah, you can look at these beautiful pictures mm-hmm. of the rings of Saturn. We want to understand them. And they go, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds good. We'll write a check for that. Yeah. And you say, we need to go and understand what's the big difference between Uranus and Neptune. Why they're knocked on it, why, why Uranus in particular is so knocked on its side. Yep. It doesn't look that interesting no, to me. You can I mean, wait. Yeah, even know. visually. How like, long is this going to take yeah. to get there? You know, so, yeah. you know, that, that suffers. But if you have something that has a compelling reason, you can get behind it. There really is no complete compelling reason to send us back to the moon, except the only reasonable way we're ever going to get to Mars is to set up on the moon first mm-hmm. and move further out. We're not going to hopscotch around the way, and again, now here maybe this shows some kind of bias of my own politically, but the Obama White House and NASA was just, let's just try a couple of things. It was a really stupid program, the Asteroid Redirect Mission, and... NASA was interested in going to the moon. The Bush administration, the second one, had set that up, but never funded it properly. And then Obama said, nah, we've been to the moon, um, been there, done that. In fact, he actually said those words, been there, done that. Yeah, we've been there six times on the surface of the moon. It's like, how many times do you have to go to New York City alone before you really have seen it? Um, but there's a whole world. We've just been there for a couple of days Um uh, and yeah, we've been there, done that. Now, let's just go and do something different, like go to an asteroid or bring an asteroid back to the moon. Don't go to the surface of the moon, but just go near the vicinity of the moon and chop off some pieces of this asteroid. Mm-hmm. That was not a space program. That was just a, sh- a one-time shot. Um, so I know that. Would, thank goodness Trump killed that when it, when he came in. But it wasn't very well uh, liked in Congress anyway. So it wasn't that it was just Trump said nah. I don't imagine. I don't know much about the politics of how these ideas are implanted, but I don't imagine there are those who that's what they study. That's just not me. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm flight operations. Yeah. I. I, What I'm thinking is like I don't imagine Obama's laying in bed at night and thinking asteroid redirect mission would be a great idea. (laughs) No, he's not coming up with this. So So, uh, who is it? There's got to be someone. The bureaucrats. Is it? Is it? If like, someone in his in his administration came up, we got to do something different with NASA because, well, we can't do what the Bushes want, right? Uh, and and you know th- that happened ever since Apollo. Mm-hmm. Someone would come up with a grand idea, and then the next president would kill it, uh, or Congress would kill it because it was too expensive. Uh, the first Bush on the twentieth um, uh, anniversary of uh, the uh, first moon landing. Uh, <laughs> proposed going to uh, Mars in what was referred to very uh, amusingly in Washington, D.C. as the Battlestar Galactica approach. <laughs> <laughs> the price tag was like a half a trillion dollars. Uh-huh. And, yeah, that was dead on arrival. Right. <laughs> it, it was, you know, a flotilla of spacecraft that were very huge, very expensive, a prolonged program of exploration. And... 
Bush himself had to know that wasn't just not going to get anywhere, but Buzz Aldrin liked it. Right. Um, because he's always been promoting, forget the moon, let's go on off to Mars. Um, <laughs> you don't do that. I mean, the moon's right there. For God's yeah. sakes, you can look up in the sky. Most nights you can see the moon, mm-hmm. uh, weather um, uh, and phase <laughs> permitting. And little kids can say, hey, my mom or dad is working up there. Yeah. And when you look at Mars in the night sky, it's disappointing. Even well, on its most best. people couldn't even tell you. Yeah, you say, where it is, "Oh, you so. see that little red thing over there? That's Mars." They go, "That's Mars." Yep. And then you go and show them in a big telescope uh, for public viewing. Mm-hmm. Twenty-four inches is considered a very big telescope, and they, that's all I can see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not that thrilling. It's right. conceptually, it's a great place to go. Mm-hmm. It has a lot to tell us, and I want to get there. But I want to get there by way of first finishing the job. Well, I don't know that the job can ever be finished. Do the science at the moon. Set up operations there. It's easier to go from the moon to Mars than it is to go from Earth to Mars. Right. Uh, yeah, you have to work out all the celestial mechanics. It's not mm-hmm. like you can say, hey, uh, hey, this Friday, let's let's head on off to Mars right. uh, from the moon. No, it doesn't work quite that way either. I mean, but nevertheless... The gravity well issue, it's easier to go to Mars uh-huh. from the moon than it is to go from Earth to the moon. And, right. Um, so it's just like we didn't say, you know, we got this big planet Earth. Oh, let's look here. No, we'll stop going there. Let's, let's go and look over here. No, stop that. Um, what are we doing in Antarctica? We've set up a scientific base of exploration down there that's been expanding for the last, what's I mean, I, I forget when the, we first uh, got to the South Pole. It's probably close to 100 years, maybe even more than, than that. Yeah. But the actual science was mm-hmm. uh, probably the 50s when it really got serious. Uh, and now there's telescopes galore down there. Mm-hmm. Many nations doing uh, all sorts of um, uh, research. Big base of operations. We, we need that at least at one place, if not many, across the, the surface yes. of the moon. Yeah, and it's not, so, it's not very in, uh, different from... From the way that space travel would have to work, yeah. because you do have a window yeah. where you have where you can and cannot leave your base down there. You do have to stockpile resources. Right. Of course, the the trip is a lot easier, we'll say, but it's certainly not easy. Oh, it's not it's easy not at all. It's not an easy no. trip. It's all um, everything's difficult. But. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I talked to a lot of people on the show who've actually spent some time in Antarctica, and it's um, it's it doesn't sound fun. It doesn't <laughs> sound fun to me. Uh, but yeah. I, I would like. I wish I could do it for like a week. Yeah, fully. there's no option. I had an it's opportunity when not. I was a graduate student to do a six-month stint at the um, at the South Pole. Mm-hmm. Uh, University of Delaware and the Bartol Research Foundation were heavy into cosmic research down there. And I thought about it, but I had some health uh, issues and some mm-hmm. family considerations as well. And I said, also, I hate the cold. Yes. <laughs> and Pennsylvania cold is bad enough. Antarctica cold? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a whole other yeah. And at that time away. period, I mean, you were literally not talking to anyone for six months. Yeah. You were cut off completely, right? Because uh, you, you could probably do some communications, but you couldn't do the type of communications you can do now with the internet mm-hmm. or you could do now with, um, with phones, the way that you yeah. can use phones. Uh, so, and satellites, things of the sort. Um, so, yeah, it would have really been a disconnect from, from humanity. Um, you brought up Trump, so I, I think it's it's only right that we, <laughs> okay. we talk. Uh, Space Force. Oh, so that, the Space yeah. Force is recently established, whatever uh-huh. that means. 
Uh, it means that it's now the sixth branch of the mm-hmm. United States uh, armed armed forces. It's very interesting. They don't have anyone to to man the positions, whatever positions those mm-hmm. are. Um, they don't have a clear direction of what they're actually going to do. Right. Uh, Donald Trump has said, and, and I, I wrote this down here, space is the world's newest war-fighting domain. That's what he said in a press conference. Um, I don't understand those words unless governments know something I don't. Um, but But it's interesting to me that... It seems, by every account, and, and uh, there's another um, quote here that I pulled, uh, one of from Todd Harrison, who is the director for aerospace, the Aerospace Security Project, and he, he does a lot with, um, with the initial stages of setting up this new branch of the military. He said, it's not about putting military service members in space. It has nothing to do with NASA. It's not about protecting Earth from asteroids or aliens. He says it's it's purely um, mm-hmm. essentially setting up an infrastructure that didn't exist. Essentially moving the Air Force higher. Yeah. Well, it. I don't know that it's setting up something that didn't ever exist before because we've had Space Command. Um, it, it, it is almost correct what Trump said there about the next battlefield. Mm-hmm. But the way he said it, Sort of suggests, and especially people who want to jump on what he says. Right. Uh, oh, that means we got people with laser rifles out there, you know, right. fighting yeah. each other or shooting at aliens that come into our space, um, our, our Earth space, uh, low Earth orbit and the like. And no, it's not that at all. I mean, uh, the whole thing is, it's just managing our assets. You can't fight, you can't do any operation military wise anywhere on the planet anymore without space assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, the communication systems, the uh, GPS, all, all the other things and some things we probably know nothing about, uh, that are that deeply classified. Um, the whole thing with space command and other things, there's Navy was doing some of it. Air Force is doing some of it. Probably the Army, uh, mm-hmm. had their hands in it too. It wasn't well, coordinated right and what i took out of the whole thing when it was first mentioned first of all the the title was probably a bad one for public relations the space force but what are you going to call it yeah there's air force and so if you go into space what is it it's a space Mm -hmm. force okay i I get it but um maybe we could have come up with some better name than that Mm -hmm. the thing is we need to have that better organized so that it kind of reminds me everybody thinks we had an air force forever Mm-hmm. And when you tell them we didn't have an air force during World War II, we had the Army Air Corps. Our planes were a part of the Army, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there were also connections to the Navy, as we still do. You know, mm-hmm. Aviators versus pilots—that's <laughs> a whole other conversation. Um, but the thing was, after World War II, they recognized that you know this new arena of warfare from above is really much more important than we thought it would be in like world war one there were air battles but that was more romantic Mm -hmm. if there's anything romantic really about warfare but uh more romantic makes for good movies about aces and Mm -hmm. the like but in world war ii it was about killing (laughs) um the other sides assets and people on the ground Mm -hmm. um 
setting fires to cities, yeah. <laughs> dropping atomic bombs mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, the ending. And Truman recognized that this needs to be separate from the inter-rivalry between the existing uh, portions of the Department of Defense, as we call it now. Mm-hmm. And he said, we need an Air Force. So, okay, well, then the Air Force decided we're going to get into space. And, well, Navy said, yeah, we too. Yeah, we mm-hmm. you want to be part of that. And probably the Army has something in, involved in that as well, especially through just use of telecommunications. Put it all under something central that has um, all of that together. Yeah. Now, when you think about the evolution of a space force in the way that you describe it, it makes sense that it wouldn't focus on things like asteroids. It wouldn't focus on things like space debris. It wouldn't focus on things like aliens. Yeah. Um, it would make sense that it would focus on the exact same things that the Air Force would focus on or the Navy would focus on, mm-hmm. but it would focus on them from a different domain. Yeah. But when the Space Force was first announced, of course, I don't think about the timeline and the progression. I think about a Space Force. What should a Space Force do? If the world or America is going to have a Space Force, what should it focus on? And there are some obvious things that I think are were, that came to my mind, which is space debris. Mm-hmm. We have a real debris problem. Yeah, in, that's getting worse in, all the time. Yes. I don't know if you can speak to how bad the problem is. I don't have figures in my head, but it's a real problem. Um, I don't know how hard it is. I don't know how much we track it. I don't know if we even can track it. Mm-hmm. I know you can look up these trackers online, and there's some, there's tens of thousands, yeah. more than 10,000 small objects orbiting the Earth. Things and, down to the size of paint flakes. Yes. And now if that hit... At least that's what they said. If that hit something, would that cause damage? Oh, God. If you get hit uh, by a paint flake uh, coming at you, uh, where your velocity vectors are almost 180 degrees apart, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the, um, a head-on collision uh, right. between uh, two cars on a highway. Uh, not much mass with the uh, paint flake. Mm-hmm. Um, much more mass with the, uh, say, the International Space Station... But the thing is, the speed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, kinetic energy goes by the square of the speed and only the first power of, of the mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're doing you know, Mach 25 and uh, you're coming at something that's coming at you at Mach 25, okay, that's Mach 50 difference mm-hmm. <laughs> of relative speed. Yeah, it doesn't take uh, much mass to be able to cause fatal damage. Right. They kind of get that aspect of the movie Gravity, right? Mm-hmm. It gets overblown. I mean, there's so much bad physics in, in that. But when the International Space Station, the Hubble, the space shuttle, and I think they even destroy a Soyuz mm-hmm. along the way, uh, that was a piece of junk that came flying in there. It wouldn't take anything nearly quite as big as the thing that came mm-hmm. in in the movie Gravity. I, I've only seen it once because the science was so bad. But. Um, Oh, God, George Clooney zipping around on a man maneuvering unit as if he had an infinite amount of fuel and nothing to do. He's just out there zipping around. Uh, well, anyway, getting hit by something tiny moving at extreme speed, yeah, that's a bad day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Has that ever happened before in actual in actual space operations? Oh, the space where station an astronaut uh, becomes not, – not the impact, but where an astronaut becomes somehow disconnected from the module and has to get back? Uh, nobody – started to fly away uh, um, without purpose. They actually recognized that they better have something a little bit better than just tethers in case a tether breaks. Mm-hmm. 
And late in, relatively late in the spatial program, they developed something called safer units, which attached to the back of the uh, backpack of the, the spacesuit. Mm-hmm. Let's see, safer, uh, simplified aid. Uh, flying rendezvous. I, I, I don't know off the top of my head exactly what SAFER stands for, but it's like a smaller version of the man maneuvering unit. Mm-hmm. It's if you lose um, contact with structure, as they refer to it, you know, you're moving along hand with overhand with your mm-hmm. um, um, gloves and your tethers disconnected or not connected and you lose grasp, you start floating away. You can pull down the arms on this safer unit. Mm-hmm. You got a little control there. You can start firing thrusters and bring yourself back. Yeah. Well, they wanted to test that. And so what they did on a, a mission at the space station with a shuttle attached, because the shuttle could go get them if it didn't work, uh, wouldn't be an easy thing to do, but they could have disconnected the shuttle and mm-hmm. go after them. One astronaut was watching another astronaut, and they left them go. They still had a really long tether attached. Mm-hmm. But they left them go away. And he started working the safer unit to fly back uh, to the uh, the structure, mm-hmm. and it worked worked fine. And they always have these just in case. How did they decide who was going to be the the the, the person? Oh, who tried it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this, I wouldn't want to be the the guinea pig in that scenario. Uh, I don't know. I think it was Scott Parazinski, but don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an interesting guy. I actually met him down here in the road at Penn College. He came to, to talk one time. And he was kind of a – well, astronauts are people who are willing to take a certain amount of risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, less so the scientists. Uh, and he is a scientist in addition. But he um, climbs mountains. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, very big mountains. So um, I think he's been on Everest. Now, if you're a yeah. climbing Everest kind of guy, you might say, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. Especially I, I when they said, oh, I'll have a really long tether yeah. just in case. They could just reel them yeah. in. I hope to get to Everest one day. But social media has made it so bad. I don't know if you saw this. People want to climb mountains now for pictures oh, so God. bad that there is now a queue line oh. on the on the yeah, uppermost the slope of, of um, Everest where there are actually pe- – there's so many people climbing it. That there's a queue line of people waiting to get to the top, and then to come back down. Yeah, it's not. It's that's, not good. That's pathetic. And, and it costs. It costs tens of thousands yeah. of dollars to do. And well, they're polluting the place with junk. Oh yeah, and junk. bodies. And bodies. Yes. You know, there's lots of dead people. You have to walk past. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, has it? What about the other scenario? Where has anything ever hit something that we've had? Oh, in the space? shuttle uh, has had to have, uh, and the space station too. Window panes uh, are replaced. Mm-hmm. Not that uh, the windows were on the verge of breaking because they're many thick paned, mm-hmm. um, but they had to take out uh, a window pane and replace it because there's small craters. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, really small um, craters that uh, are something hit it that's tiny but moving at high speed. Uh, some of our probes in the uh, uh, they go through the um, asteroid belt have had particle hits registered. Um, oh, I bet if we were able to go catch up with the Voyager spacecraft, we'd see its outer hull is peppered like crazy mm-hmm. uh, with hits. Um, we had a situation not terribly long ago where the uh, Indian space program, and then earlier than that, the uh, Chinese space program, purposely destroyed a satellite in orbit, and that made one hell of a cloud of uh, debris. 
and everybody else in the space business was saying, "What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what was the of that purpose of it? Come down. Well, it was a test uh, of an anti-satellite kind of capability. Hmm. Uh, I believe in the case of the uh, Chinese, it was a defunct weather satellite that they shot down. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what it was that the Indians, uh, the Indian space program is called uh, ISRO, Indian Scientific Research Organization or Space Research. Yeah, Indian Space Research Organization, ISRO, mm-hmm. uh, the Indian NASA. And they did a similar thing, and NASA went ballistic and said, Does anyone do talk that. to one another in these scenarios? Like sending, Not like something hey, like that, no. I'm shooting down an all-weather satellite today. Yeah, that's, no. <laughs> but, you know, we, we have to watch what we say, too, because we've done things uh, that are kind of silly mm-hmm. way, way back. Oh, God, what's the name of that one? This was, I think, during the Kennedy administration. They sent up an enormous number of needles mm-hmm. and blew up a... Uh, a satellite carried these inside of it and it, it was that was the delivery system blowing it up so that mm-hmm. all these needles would go and the idea was to spread these needles around the world to improve the um, bouncing back of signals from the ground off the ionosphere mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear god yeah cover the earth with needles <laughs> and you're going to launch other satellites through uh, fortunately they came back down and burned up but nevertheless that was a dumb idea <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's um. So the the space force thing. What I'm wondering is if we'll have a time in the future where we realize that NASA has to have has to have its own version of a space force that doesn't do military operations, but that does actual scientific operations like cleaning up the the low Earth orbit problem. Or I don't even know if it's just low Earth orbit. Where, where is actually the, the worst is low Earth orbit? Yeah. yeah. Um. So if it's if NASA will have to actually start putting money into that, mm-hmm. into cleaning that up, and may, maybe not just NASA, but other organizations, probably so, commercial. That's a good place for them to work. Yeah, um, and then and an asteroid deflection in the in the future. Now that's NASA. Yeah, yeah, because that that will inevitably. It's funny um, how people don't want America to be the world police, yeah. but if the perpetrator is an asteroid, then we have <laughs> no problem yeah. letting NASA handle that one. Um, but yeah. So, do you think that that's going to be? If, has that first off has that been talked about in the past? Many times. <clears throat> has has there ever been any movement on that in the space community? Only to the point of trying very hard to get a full catalog of near near Earth asteroid objects above a certain size mm-hmm. uh, that would be some degree of a threat. Yes. Uh, so that we know what their orbits are, uh, we can keep monitoring them. Um, so one major thing that we can't really uh, predict at the moment would be, let's say, two asteroids collide and create a, a storm right. of things that end up, instead of being uh, these two things in relatively safe orbits, now end up showering things down toward us. Mm-hmm. That could be a, a very bad day. Yes, yeah. and of course, you know, it's it's we've been trying to do this this neo tracking these near earth objects near earth objects tracking for a long time and we always miss something well yeah right because it's just really hard to see rocks Mm -hmm. which in some cases are iron so it's you know it's kind of blackish anyway 
floating around in interstellar. It's hard to right. see them. Um, in some cases, impossible to see them. Mm-hmm. And statistically speaking, there will be impacts. Well, yeah. Uh, on this planet, there has been in the past. There will be in the future. So it it seems at this point, to me anyway, maybe I'm wrong, that that it's a great idea to do the documentation and to try to figure out where they are and track them as best as possible. But it also seems that we might have a case in the future, maybe not in our lifetimes, um, but in the future, where there's going to be one we didn't account for. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be heading for a direct impact with the Earth, and we should probably have the capabilities to do something about that. Yeah, and it's just a matter of how much lead time do we have uh, in order to do that, which is the difference between comets and asteroids. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're not likely to be able to do anything with a comet if we find out there's a comet on... uh, a direct uh, trajectory toward us. Uh, we're not going to have any lead time at all to be right. able to do anything on that one. But asteroids, if we know enough time in advance, we can deal with those. And uh, unfortunately, the um, near-Earth asteroid cataloging is kind of oh, suffered from its own success. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while there, Congress got the idea that, uh, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> we, we could have a terrible time of it, uh, environmental disaster of unprecedented uh, uh, style in our lifetime um, if one of these asteroids hits us. But, you know, when they catalog them and found that at the moment anyway, there's nothing that's a pressing danger. Mm-hmm. There's things that are coming by that are, quote, near misses. Which, yeah. You know, they go a quarter of the distance between the Earth and the moon, and that's yeah. considered a I, near I, miss. I, so, I see this, this is one website. Gosh, there's nothing to worry about. I know, forget so what the say. website is, but they say they always do this. They say Earth on potential direct collision with with asteroid, and then they don't tell you the distance. Yeah. of course. But if they told you the distance, you'd realize it's ten times the distance to the moon, yeah. or you know, five times the distance to the moon. So that's just speaking. Like that. That's a near miss. Yes, but it's not going to clobber us. So you know the. the Political ramifications of that are simply that, oh, they're just crying. Uh, what's that chicken little? Mm-hmm. The sky is falling. The sky is falling and nothing happens. Yes. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's something we definitely have to worry about. Yeah, and I'm wondering if we'll see a future, and I don't know if this has ever been talked about in the past, where NASA has a particular budget where they are to do that sort of thing and set up their own space force, mm-hmm. their own protective barrier around the Earth, whatever that means, whether mm-hmm. that's cleaning up debris you know, well, that'd be a nice thing for international uh, cooperation mm-hmm. to do. Um. <laughs> but it seems like it just hasn't become a problem yet. We're, no, we're, we're very reactive in policy. Oh yeah, I think we've always been very reactive in right. policy and not proactive. And it will solve it when it becomes a problem. I think it's if probably we can. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah, then there will always be those who would say, "Why didn't you do something about this before?" Well, mm-hmm. you know, we tried. Yes, <laughs> you didn't think there was any real danger here, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, what can you do in the next six days? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> what can you do in the next six months? Uh, nothing. <laughs> yes, I um i I was doing some some research for this, and I went to the archive of articles that were published um, transitioning back to commercial spaceflight Mm -hmm. into the archive of articles published, say, in the early 2000s to see what people were saying about private spaceflight and commercial spaceflight back then. First off, my understanding, and you can clear this up for me, is that we've already done private spaceflight in terms of sending civilians on sort of a pay-to-play basis. Mm -hmm. 
We've done that already. Yeah. Is that is that been very done? limited? But it, it's, it's been, been done. done, right? Yeah. Um, but people it has... making their own rockets. Yes. One of the first ones was called Conestoga One, which um, it, it wasn't terribly productive in mm-hmm. any way. But and, and we've got um, a methodology of sending people's uh, freeze dried ashes into space mm-hmm. for dispersal. Yeah. Uh, we, we've, we've done that sort of thing. We have not yet sent anybody along the joyride kind of thing. Yes. Unless you count somebody like Dennis Tito, uh, who mm-hmm. bought a ride to the Mir space station. Yes. And a few others mm-hmm. uh, who've done something uh, similar with the International Space Station. Well, Saudi Prince just recently went up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't count those quite in the same right. vein as something like Virgin Galactic mm-hmm. or uh, the New Shepard, uh, Jeff Bezos, New yeah. Shepard yep. suborbital, and eventually mm-hmm. the new Glenn orbital uh, flights by paying customers. That we still have yet to do. Yes. Yeah, so I, I found an article that was published in 2009, and maybe you'll get a kick out of it. So I've never heard of it before. But it was about the Galactic Suite Space Resort. Have you heard of this? Uh, and, no, that's a and, new one and for they, me, yeah. And they were saying that by 2012, they will be able to keep people in suborbital flights for a hotel stay. This is published in 2009. <laughs> you mean they low, said, low Yeah, low Earth orbit, yeah. yeah. For, for uh, um, I, I don't even know if it's, I don't even know if it's th- that. I don't know the, the exact yeah. details of what they're doing. But for a couple days, they were able to keep people in a hotel. Mm-hmm. They claimed they could do that by 2012. <laughs> okay. I found another article that was published around the same time. It was a space.com article. Uh-huh. And the the article was titled um uh, entrepreneurs claim we will be on the we will have private citizens on the moon by 2020. Hmm. Okay? Obviously we're not going to do 2020. That. That's not happening. Yeah. But they had quotes in there by some of the people that we hear about today. Mm-hmm. Um they had quotes in there by uh, Eric Anderson. I'm not sure if you recognize the name. He's a I think he's in charge of Space Adventures, uh-huh. which is a company that does this sort of thing. And then he says, by 2020, you'll have seen private citizens circumnavigate the moon. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, Bigelow, the guy we were talking about earlier, yep. predicted that we would have several private space stations that were being continually stocked with new people by yeah. 2020. That also didn't happen. I'm kind of surprised about him because he actually made you know progress on that with these. They're called Genesis 1 mm-hmm. and Genesis 2. Genesis 1 was small. Genesis 2 was quite big. Yeah, It could qualify mm-hmm. as a space hotel a crude one yeah but or some place where you do uh, production of semiconductor uh, crystals in a weightless environment or mm-hmm. pharmaceutical development but he's just been sitting on that nothing much has happened since uh, genesis 2 other than this beam uh, right the bigelow expandable uh activity module attached to uh let's see that's attached to the tranquility module on the international space station and they mm-hmm. just test it every so often so, I mean, it's it's odd. The idea of hotels, though, that goes way back. I mean, back when they first got the Apollo, <clears throat> the Apollo 11 mission uh, accomplished, and then there was all this speculation, of where do we go from here, and what will the near future have? And people speculated it. Oh, within another 20 years, we'll have hotels in space for those who can afford it, mm-hmm. and trips to the moon that you can buy a ticket on, and it'll be uh, – the price will be way down compared yeah. to what it cost Apollo to send two people to the surface of the moon uh, and have a third one orbiting while they're doing that. Uh, that's all been mm-hmm. ridiculous speculation. Yeah, the, the, this is why I ask because, you know, I, the reason I even came up with this question is because I, I saw you post on a, a Facebook um, uh, article. The article was like, 
something about we're going to be in space. We're going to have commercial space flight by like 2022 mm-hmm. or something. And there was someone in the comments saying, um, um, this has finally become a possibility mm-hmm. and we're now finally <laughs> being able to talk about this for the first time mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And, y- and you sort of broke it down. You said, no, no, no. We've been talking about this for forever, decades now. Yeah. And we've been held back for decades now, every single time. And it's been, uh, we've been optimistic on our predictions every single time. Mm-hmm. And I went back into the archives and I found some of those exact things that you were talking about. And, you know, all the way back in 2002, I could find, Internet records of companies like CNN or, mm-hmm. you know, back when maybe they had a semblance of credibility, um, <laughs> saying things like that. Like, uh-huh. you know, experts are saying we'll, we'll be able to have private tourism on the moon by 2010 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you feel like this is different this time? Do you feel like we will see commercial spaceflight finally? Something's going to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what. Uh, I'm just wait and see. Yeah. I'm, as an academic, more interested in what the Orion um, SLS, the Artemis program, um, is going to do with the moon. Mm. I'm hopeful on that one because I've seen you know the scientific programs come and go yeah. of sending people further away uh, than low Earth orbit, mm-hmm. which is you know the last time we did that was 1972. Uh, come on. Uh, I'm not going to be around forever. I want to see that happen again before I'm six feet under. Yeah. Uh, but something's going to happen with the commercial stuff. I'm just going to be waiting and seeing. Mm-hmm. The commercial people have a role to play in uh, the Artemis, too. They may very well, which is what they're working on right now, be the ones who supply the means of hauling uh, cargo to the surface of the moon and actually provide, if not the entirety of it, modules of mm-hmm. the lander. Right now, they're talking about putting the lander together out at the gateway. Um, NASA would have uh, a partial government, partial internet, national, partial commercial mini space station. The original one's going to be very bare bones for the first landing or two. But the idea is you take the uh, Orion spacecraft and you don't actually go into a traditional lunar orbit, mm-hmm. you go into a halo orbit, which then allows you to essentially reach any place on the moon. Yeah. Um, they're most interested in the South Pole for the moment, but I want to see the rest of the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you can reach anywhere by just taking the lander down. And a yeah. much longer thing than they did with Apollo. Apollo eventually took the lander down to like uh, nine miles altitude mm-hmm. after the first two land. Yeah, after no, after the first three landings. They got down real low. Uh, and so they could save more fuel for finding a good landing site in more uh, rugged terrain. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to do that. They're going to. It's going to take quite a ways for them to go around in this high orbit to get down to lower orbit and eventually power descent to the surface. But that vehicle may very well be possibly 100% commercial or half mm-hmm. or something in between commercial. And the idea is they want to have a single-use descent stage I think they're going to change their mind eventually. But at the moment, they're talking about a reusable ascent stage. It goes back to the gateway. Right. But the descent stage, just like an Apollo, stays on the surface of the moon. Mm-hmm. And you can fly that descent stage without the ascent one and take rovers, modules for habitation, down on top of that. And that's the perfect thing. Blue Origin wants to do that. Uh, they have – oh, what's the name of it? Is it Blue Moon? They have a lander. I, I think it's Blue Moon, but don't quote me I'm on sure. that. Um, you might be right. It's 
It's blue something. Didn't right? I think that they unveiled it like a week after after that yeah. announcement? Here's like, how we yeah. possibly could do it. And yes. Bezos goes, "Well, you know, we've been thinking about this, and here's yes. our proposal." Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, it's it's kind of neat that um, there's com- competition there. Um, they already have some contracts out for small uh, delivery systems, mm-hmm. and um, Bezos uh, has gotten some significant funding for going forward with this um, lunar landing descent stage, yeah. at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but somebody's got to build an ascent stage. You don't want to just land on the moon and say, hey, how are we getting home? Yeah. No, you certainly don't. I mean, no. I, I like this idea of going somewhere far from home, but I want to come back. I'm not, I'm not one of these guys like yeah. uh, Musk who says, I want to send people to Mars and leave them there. I don't They're think many die. people want to go to Mars and be left there. Oh, no. There no, are I lots think of people there, there who are do. people signing up. I yeah. think when it came time to, to actually to do, do, it, do it, I think many of If they really like, thought about it. Yeah. You're going to die. Yes. In a lonely, <laughs> yeah. barren, cold place. It's going to take a while before you can set up an outpost where yeah. you can live on Mars and never have to worry about yes. going back to, to the Earth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, those first people, they're just going to go there and they're going to die. Mm-hmm. No, Yeah. The, the reason I bring this up is because it's like it's so interesting to me when I talk to you. To me, in my mind, I th- like I have a lot of excitement about this sort of commercialized mm-hmm. advances in spaceflight. But when I talk to you, it, you seem like almost stoic or or sort of apathetic about it because I, I I get the sense that like you've you've seen this happen and be touted so many times in the past. Oh, the interesting thing about reaching this stage of life, and for those who don't know me, I'm I'm 64. Uh, you've seen damn near everything mm-hmm. several times. Yep, uh, nothing. Is new, right? I mean, look at this room we're in. We're in the uh, the Detweiler Planetarium. Look at the doors. Mm-hmm. What kind of furniture is that? That's the same shit my parents had in the fifties. <laughs> yeah, it's called blonde furniture. It was out of favor <laughs> in the sixties. My mother loved it, and mm-hmm. I'm now having to take care of our family property. I'm throwing that stuff away because yep. it's seen its day. It's mm-hmm. now almost seventy years old. Uh, but that stuff's coming back all throughout this new physics building. We've got that furniture. And when I look at it, I say, that went out of favor 50 years ago. Uh-huh. Why are we using that? Well, things come back, um, you know, fashion. Not that we want to go talk about that for much. The fashion comes and goes. Yeah, fanny packs. Yeah. They're making a comeback. I see them all I've over. seen it before. I <laughs> yep. mean, the thing is, there's these various programs have been, oh, yes, we're going to do this now. And I'm saying, yeah, give me the funds, and then I'll mm. believe you. Um, yeah. Develop this. Well, here, here's one. For This worries me a lot. Okay, Musk wants to send 100 people into space on a rocket at a time. Mm-hmm. Is he really thinking about life support? Do you have any idea, Elon, about how much weight would be involved in a closed environmental control and life support system for 100 people for five years? Um, no, <laughs> the, the size of the rocket would just be beyond silly, mm-hmm. um, unless they are going to hold their breath all the way from earth to Mars and then yeah. they're going to slowly. Well, he just wants to say he got a hundred people off the ground. <laughs> so it's fine if they die in orbit. It's just not important. They just need to get them know. off the ground. There, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of wonderful things about all this stuff, but then there's a lot of things that you have to say. Now, wait a minute. Have you thought about this? Yeah. 
Yep. I think I'm in that new, like the new relationship phase mm-hmm. with a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. where it seems that it's very romantic and it's. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the neat thing about being a professor, uh, an academic, a teacher, instructor, whatever you want to call it. You see this in the eyes of the young students say, oh, isn't this great? Mm-hmm. And you always have to bite your tongue mm-hmm. and say, you know, this is nothing new, folks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you tell them about these things and they go, Really? Yep. I had a kid uh, recently come to me and talk to me about Alkybeer drives. Mm-hmm. Do you know what those are? It's Say the name again. Alkybeer, an Alkybeer drive. Alkybeer. It's a it's a th- theoretical idea where you can presumably um, travel faster than the speed of light oh, by deforming space time. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that uh, you, you don't even have the time dilation effect yes. inside the bubble. Exactly. Yeah. And someone was coming and talking to me, and they were so excited. There was so much excitement. And I just, I could, I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond yeah. other than to say, like, I don't think that's happening in your lifetime. <laughs> I don't think that we're having the technological advancement to have that in your lifetime. Yeah. Um, the amount of energy yeah. necessary for that is, mm-hmm. well, astronomical. Yes. <laughs> so I, it's very interesting. Um, but shifting gears for more time. When I bring people on the show, I ask them to, I, I don't even, there's not even a name for the segment. I don't even know if you can call it a segment. But essentially, there's there's quirky, weird things associated with everyone's expertise. Yeah. Whether it's pulsars, neutron stars, space flight, whatever it is, there's always some weird stuff. And so what I do is I try to scour social media. Mm-hmm. I try to find the pictures or the articles or the quirky things mm-hmm. that cap that 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 generate the most um, excitement from people. And so I've done that. I have a few pictures to show okay. you. And so our goal, if people listening. Uh, um, on YouTube, I encourage you to to do that so you can see the pictures too. But I'm just going to show you a picture, okay. and I need you to break it down for me right. and show me what's going on. Because on the surface, some of these are like, what what's happening here? There's so the lots fir- of quirks in spaceflight, especially <laughs> in the Russian side. Yeah, so the first one, we have an astronaut. Oh, STS-5. Holding a for sale sign. Yep. I've seen this floating uh-huh. around all of the time lately. Mm-hmm. In the 80s, that made for a really neat poster that was up in a lot of uh, dorm rooms, and uh, especially for science people in, in uh, colleges. Um, what is happening here? Well, what you're seeing there is you're seeing an astronaut who actually was flying the man maneuvering unit. Um, you can see him reflected in the visor of mm-hmm. the other astronaut. Uh, we've only ever once had a spacewalk with three people out at the same time, and that was because they ran into problems with a deployment of a satellite, uh, a retrieval and mm-hmm. repair of a satellite. But they go out in twos. And uh, this is, um, did I say SDS-5? SDS-51A. Uh, we're talking about uh, the, oh, the third quarter of... Um, 1985. It's amazing to me that you're able to do that. Space shuttle. Well, I thought it was September, but I don't want to commit that much. Uh, (laughs) Another quarter of a, or maybe it's December. What? It's 1985. Okay. Okay. Uh, You're looking at a picture of Dale Gardner and uh, oh Joe Allen, and I can't tell off the top of my head which one is which because they did this twice and they reversed Mm -hmm. roles. There were two satellites that went awry. Uh, that would have been on STS-41B. Uh, that would have been February 4th. No, no. Well, early February um, 1984. Okay. Two satellites that were very much alike for two different uh, customers. They're telecommunication satellites. The kick engines that were supposed to take them uh, from the orbit of the shuttle 
to uh, geosynchronous orbit, mm-hmm. both failed. They had a similar manufacturer uh, manufacturing failure. And uh, they left those two satellites, which you see them down here in the corner here, the little circular foiled mm-hmm. thing. That's one of them. Oh, so this is the second uh, one, I guess, the second retrieval. Uh, they, the insurance company said, all right, let's go get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they paid NASA a tiny amount of money compared to what they actually cost to prove that you could go and get them, bring them back to Earth, and then fly them later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the intermediate step. On SDS-51A, these two astronauts went out uh, with something that looked like a harpoon attached mm-hmm. to the front that they could shove into the burnt engine nozzle and grab a hold of it and then fly it with their little thrust par- thruster mm-hmm. pack back to the vicinity of the uh, payload bay. And they did a lot of work uh, for snipping off the antenna off the top because that was a pointy thing. And you don't want to pointy things around mm-hmm. your spacesuits. And eventually secured it in uh, the... Uh, Palo Bay of Discovery. And to show that they not only um, deliver, which they had assigned for in STS-5 when the satellites went off for the very first time from a shuttle, we deliver. Now they have for sale, um, meaning those things have been recovered from STS-11 or 41B. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mission had uh, two ways of naming it. <laughs> they said this is for sale. That you uh, we're going to bring it back to Earth, fix it, and then take it back up, and um, mm-hmm. somebody else can buy a used satellite at lesser price. I see. So that was that was a very cool uh, mission when they did that. Okay. <laughs> well, now that we got this one is one that I've. So- Should I tell them I just made all that up? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, everything I said yeah. is true. Uh, I think it's Dale Gardner holding that, by the way. Okay. That's at least what the caption. So said. then that would be but, Joe Allen in the reflection. Yeah. Uh, th- so. My understanding is that there are tons of rituals, superstitions, or, or things that astronauts do mm-hmm. or people in the spaceflight community do yeah. when there's a launch. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ones that has been making the rounds on social media everywhere lately is this one of a cosmonaut. <laughs> I don't know which, but he's taking a piss on, on a, a bus tire. tire. Yep. That's the uh, – There's two of them actually. Yeah. Uh, well, this goes back to uh, – Yuri Gagarin, they uh, got him suited up. It's kind of funny. Both the American and the Russian first person to go into space ran in a foul of the same bodily function. Alan Shepard went into space having pissed in his spacesuit because mm-hmm. he was out there for the longest time. Um, they over-dramatized that in the movie The Right Stuff, mm-hmm. that he had so many cups of coffee before he got into the capsule, and then he's sitting on his back and saying, Gordo. I have to urinate. <laughs> and there's a scene about, you know, the, uh, the launch team saying, no, no, you can't go in a suit. You'll short out the electrical system. And eventually they said, well, either you let him take a leak in the suit or we go out and we open up the cabin and it's like 70 some bolts you mm-hmm. have to do and let him use the bathroom somewhere and put him back in, which would have looked horrible uh, on TV. Well, anyway, so he went into space mm-hmm. uh, having a wet suit. <laughs> On the way out to the launch pad, Yuri Gagarin had to relieve himself. Mm-hmm. And it's a long ride. And so they stopped the bus, and he just opened up the zipper in the front and pissed on the uh, tire. Now, what is this suit? Is this? Uh, do they get inside of another suit, or is that? No, that's the uh, launch suit. Uh, they don't have the helmet on uh, in, in this picture, right? I can't mm-hmm. see quite. And it has a zipper? Oh, yeah, there's zipper seals uh, on suits. Um 
<laughs> they make a, a reasonably decent vacuum seal mm-hmm. the way it's all put together, but it does involve zippers. And um, I don't know that much about the early uh, spacesuit, the Russian one, but apparently he was able to, you know, <laughs> yeah, make it work. Yeah, make it work. Yeah. And, and and now they do this for. Well, that Russians are big on tradition. I mean, mm-hmm. are, we too. But I mean, oh, they're superstitious uh, in mm-hmm. their early days of space program. So the very next guy, they had to stop the bus and make him go out mm-hmm. and take a piss on the on the tire. It has to be on the tire. Yep. Uh, he probably went on the tire. I'm just guessing here. Yeah. So that nobody saw, you know, the apparatus involved mm-hmm. with taking the leak. Yep. So he's just standing there right there like he's bellowing up to, mm-hmm. be- bellying up to a urinal. Yeah. Uh, takes a piss on the uh, tire. <laughs> and so it became superstition that if you did not go on the way out to the pad mm-hmm. and take a piss, yep. you were risking a launch mm-hmm. a malfunction. They ended up having trouble eventually when it came to the first woman going into space. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valentina Tereshkova. They yeah. had to come up with something special. And then it came back also to haunt them when the first American woman went many, many, many years later on a, a, a Soyuz. They accommodated them. Mm-hmm. That's all they will say. They accommodated yeah. them. And so the claim is, yeah. and I don't think you're going to find any pictures of that. The claim is that Valentina Tereshkova, um, she went outside and she, for Vostok uh, 6, mm-hmm. she took a piss on the tire with some accommodation for yep. the female anatomy mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh yeah um <laughs> the first american woman to fly the soyuz they did similar things and subsequent ones as well mm-hmm. and to this day supposedly yeah they still do that now when you're watching nasa tv on a launch and there'll be another mm-hmm. one with a soyuz in i believe march you won't you'll see the van leaving mm-hmm. you'll see the van arriving at the launch pad they will not show you all 25 minutes of the dr- of the drive right. from the cosmonaut uh, suiting up area mm-hmm. to the launch facility because the thing is they're supposedly stopping at mm-hmm. the same place where, Gagar- where Yuri Gagarin took a piss mm-hmm. for the flight crew yeah. to all go out and piss on the <laughs> tire of the van. Uh-huh. I cannot verify that that is still being done. But mm-hmm. considering the way the Russians are superstitious about that sort of thing, I bet it is. I see. No, that's... Look, I'm pee shy, okay? So I, I wouldn't, like... I would, this guy's... Why is this guy taking a picture of him is another thing I'm wondering. Like, what, <laughs> what's going on? Why do we even have this photo? I don't understand. Um, um, that's a good question. <laughs> I... So I, I know of the tradition. Yeah. I did not know of any photos. Yes, but then again, I wasn't looking for photos of yeah. cosmonauts taking that piss. Yeah, that was a um, weird one to type into Google. Cosmonauts uh, peeing. Yeah, yeah you, you, got, you got to be careful about that one. Well, it it could be photoshopped of some kind. Yeah, maybe uh, that somebody knows about that tradition mm-hmm. and said, "Oh, I got to make a picture of this." And, yeah, um, I I'd have to study that. That's, that's that seems like a picture you don't want that's to study. That's more modern. Much of, though, that right? is more modern than it is uh, the old suits. But I can't tell you whether that's the '90s, the uh, first decade of the 2000s, or the decade that's about to end uh, soon. The fact that there's only two of them out there that sort of suggests we're going back, probably to the Soyuz T uh, series. 
Uh, there might be more inside. But and that could be they're going to a Salyut space station or maybe just to the Mir space station in the 90s with two people. I, 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 I have no idea. Mm. But, yeah, that's, that's a, yeah. definitely a Russian spacesuit mm -hmm. with that nice blue uh, yep. stripe down there. Mm -hmm. Now, the Americans aren't, are also have some weird so, – I don't know. I don't know if you want to call them superstitions mm -hmm. or, or whatever you want to call them. Um, but this is one of the the weirder ones that I found. Um, <laughs> tie clipping, yeah. Yes. So first off, why do they tip this? Why do they clip his tie? Uh, that one I can't tell you as much detail as the Russian one, probably because the Russian was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's Mike Leinbach, uh, who was a, um, a space shuttle launch director for many, many, many missions. And you're inside the launch control center at the Kennedy Space Center that's uh, uh, building off to the side of the vehicle assembly building, uh, which everybody calls the VAB in space circles. That's mm -hmm. um, not a launch director. It's probably a space shuttle uh, program official, probably somebody from Johnson Space Center. And there's several traditions that take place after that took place after a successful launch uh, for example the eating of a lot of beans yeah beans and cornbread that's another <laughs> yeah, one I beans found. and cornbread it said that I, they showed a picture of a, like literally like an assembly line of beans yeah. and that was started out if i remember correctly and if i'm wrong one of your viewers will probably uh, send you something saying here's the real story or mm -hmm. if i remember correctly it started with the very first space shuttle mission that Beans were just around, mm -hmm. and they started consuming the beans, and they took it as a good luck charm that the first space shuttle launch went well. Yeah. Let's eat beans after every yep. space shuttle mission that works um, successfully and just keep it going. Yo, yeah, that mission control building has to be gross after that. <laughs> after every employee eats baked beans, yeah. oh, boy. Yeah, and then they, they, they eat peanuts, right? Mm -hmm. Don't they eat peanuts during the launch yeah. or something? Yep. So – I, I don't know. But so they do this every time they launch. They clip the tie of the. <laughs> I don't know if it's an every time thing, but uh, um, yeah, I remember that one taking place. The launch director <laughs> clipping the tie. <laughs> it's very. But do you know how it started? No, I don't. No. It's got. I, Not off the top of my head. It seems so arbitrary and, and odd. Well, the pissing thing seems arbitrary <laughs> and odd, too. But is there any other like real, real quirky things in sort sort of the history of of spaceflight rituals that you think is really odd? Oh, I know off that the top of my head, uh, nothing immediately jumps to mind. But yeah, there there definitely are lots of things that people like to repeat, especially when something was done on a mission that went really well. Um, those are the, There's the steak and eggs, one. right? Oh, that goes back to the early days. Yeah. Yep. And that um, means no vegans are allowed in space. I guess. And I'm okay with that, actually. I never quite understood the steak and eggs things. It was called a low-residue diet, mm -hmm. but without getting into too much bodily function kind of stuff. I don't know. I think most oh. people would say if you after you eat a steak, there's not so much low-residue. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah. If I, I'm eating steak and eggs, I'm not low-residue. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> but that was a traditional thing. You ate uh, steak and eggs breakfast before you went uh, well, on the Mercury we had... <laughs> missions, the Gemini missions, off yeah. to the moon. Uh, but when it got around to the space shuttle era, there were a bunch of people, and I think it started more so with scientists than pilots. They said, I really don't want to go into space with a heavy stomach. Mm -hmm. I'll just have a salad. <laughs> yeah. No. 
And the pilots were probably looking at them like, yeah. hey. <laughs> that could be your last meal ever. Yeah, steak and potatoes, guys. Yeah, yeah let's something, go. yeah. Um, but but it's weird. Weird rituals. And I'll have to talk to, to Nate about some of these. Yeah. He probably sees He's them. probably learning a yeah. lot of this stuff. Yes. And, so it, it, it'll, and now we're going to be launching people from American soil again. So mm-hmm. they'll maybe come we'll, up with something new. Maybe we'll new. come up with some new ones. Yeah. yeah. You know, Elon, you have to some... smoke a blunt with Elon Musk. Oh dear God, please no! <laughs> Before every launch, you have to smoke a joint with Elon Musk. That might be the new ritual. Maybe after. How about after? Yeah, after. <laughs> after successful return. <laughs> well, all right, David Fisher. I appreciate you doing this. Um, always fun. If there's anything else you want to talk about, feel free. But if not, then we'll wrap it up. Oh, I think we've probably gone on how long? Two hours? An hour and forty minutes. Well, okay. I think we've covered a yep, lot. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. And we're out.